Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. And now here's Pastor Ralph with part two of our message entitled, A Model for Our Faith. Well, let's take a look at it. Romans 4, it talks about those whose sins are put out of sight. And the word put out of sight there, you could write down the word covered, or here's another big fancy theological word, atonement. You could write the word atoned. They would have this idea of of an of a animal sacrifice. Now, we think animal sacrifice, and you think some weird religious thing, but, they, but this is a part of their life. And so they had this annual sacrifice of the Passover, and they would bring the blood of this newly sacrificed or killed lamb that they were going to barbecue, and they'd sprinkle the blood on this little tray on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And the idea is that as though we as a nation are acknowledging our sin, and we should die for our sins, but the animal died in our place. And the blood of the animal stands between us, the sacrifice stands between us and the law that would accuse us. Somebody died so we could live. That's the, the picture. And it's a picture of what Jesus would do on the cross. And so it says here, happy is the person whose sin is covered. In other words, God doesn't even look at it. God doesn't see it anymore. He's, he's forgotten the wrong that you've ever done. It goes on and says, yes, what joy for those whose sin is no longer counted against them. That means the person who's declared not guilty by God. God can look at you and accept you the way that you are and, and forgive you and let you move on and go forward. Well, drop down to verse 20. And it talks about Abraham. And, and, uh, and as, as we go to verse 20, I, I want you to think of this process now. Abraham is wanting a son. And so God makes him a promise at a physical level. I'm going to do the thing that you're asking for. And then God says... Abraham is a righteous person because Abraham put his confidence in God. And then God goes on to promise him that I'm going to bless all the people in the world through this person that I bring into your life and this whole nation of people that I bring to you. And, and so we see that Jesus actually becomes, and we're going to read about it here at the end, the sacrifice for everybody's sin. And God has this plan. I want you to think of this, this one, two, three kind of a deal that we come with a point of physical need. God uses the need to bring us to himself. And then thirdly, and in, in, in the, the blessing that he gives us, he wants to reach out and bless other people. You know, if you're looking for a job, if you're looking to start a business, and God wants to bless you, he wants to, he wants to bless you because you have need in your life. He wants to bless you in a way that draws you closer to him, but he wants to bless you in a way that he can use your blessings to bless other people. Does that make sense? Everything that we have, you know, we think of everything belongs to the Lord. And so often we think of that in some sort of a, we get a sour look on our face and look all drawn and go, oh, everything I have belongs to you. Real religious, you know. No, God wants bounty in your life. God wants to bless you, but in blessing you, he wants to spill over and bless other people. And so this is what Abraham looked for, and he becomes the model to us. God wants to grace our lives. Well, go on to verse 20. Abraham never wavered. Talks about faith that grows stronger. Underline those words, never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. Underline those words, faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was absolutely convinced, underline those words, absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised. And because of Abraham's faith, and here it says it again, God declared him to be righteous. Now, don't you feel kind of condemned when you read these words? I mean, here's the deal. Abraham never wavered. Do you? Abraham's faith grew stronger. How's yours? Abraham was absolutely convinced. Are you? You know, I, I look at this and I, I, I just wilt. 
It's like, oh my gosh, I, Abraham is this, this titan of faith, this superman of faith, and, and here's me. One day I'm hot and one day I'm cold. Does anybody identify? How many of you are more like Abraham than you're like me? Raise your hand. How many of you are more like me than you are like Abraham? Raise your hand. Until you look at the life of Abraham. Abraham starts really well. You know, he, he, he finally encounters God and God says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to this and that and the other thing. And, and then Abraham uh, goes out and, and he's got this wife, Sarah. I'm going to bless your wife, Sarah, with a child. And Abraham goes on down into Egypt and Sarah's a babe. And the Egyptian king likes to include pretty women in his harem. And uh, this guy, Abraham, is going, tell him you're my sister, man, because he'll kill me to get you. So right away, he's not trusting the Lord. He's trusting his scam that he can pull. The next thing you know, he's got this nephew named Lot. And, and a few years goes by, and God hasn't exactly come through real fast. And Abraham starts to tell God, hey, look, you know what? I know those promises you made to me, and I know you're having a hard time with it. And she's old, and I'm old. And, you know, well, we'll just adopt Lot, and we'll call him our son, and, and we'll just call the deal square, Lord. Now, is that faith, or you know, what is that? That's what you call unbelief. Next thing you know, uh, by the way, that one costs him a whole bunch of real estate and a bunch of money. It's a lot better to just trust in the Lord and go with it and, than it is to try to make things happen ourselves. And then you see Abraham is really up and, and this gang of thugs comes and they, they kidnap Lot and his neighbors and everything and do this horrible thing. I mean, it's hundreds and hundreds of men that come and do this raid and Abraham takes his 400 guys and goes out and whacks them. In the name of the Lord, we'll just, we'll win this. And, and here's super faith. And the next thing you know after that is God still hasn't given him the child. And so Abraham and his wife come up with a, this idea. She has this servant girl that works for her. And Abraham will just go have sex with her and have a child. And then they'll pretend it's Sarah's child. And so he does that. And he creates the problem that's going on in Israel today. The whole Mediterranean world is up in smoke because of, of these two offspring of Abraham, uh, Ishmael and Isaac. And, and they have never gotten along ever since. But then he gets a lot of domestic problems going because his wife forever is jealous because of his relationship with this servant girl, Hagar. And a Abraham is, is, he's worse than you or I. He's worse than you or I. But look what it says here. Look at God's view of Abraham. Because that's really what you're getting. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And over time, it really did. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was absolutely convinced that God was able to do anything he promised. And because of Abraham's faith, God declared him to be righteous. Well, what is that? Is that an inconsistency in the Bible? No, that's the mercy of God. That's Abraham, who's got some sort of a weak little thread of faith that goes on in his life and ultimately holds him together. It's this that he always returns to. He has his his wonderful moments, and he has his terrible downtimes. But somewhere in between, there's this thing down deep in his heart that says, well, I know that God can do whatever he promised. And, and it's his fallback, much like you and I. If something good happens in our life, man, we got great faith today. If something bad happens in our life, we go, well, I know God can do anything, but... You know, you've been there, done that? God looks at you and says... This is, my, this is my friend. This is the person that's pleasing to me. This is the person that's hanging on by a thread, but I'm going to see to it that at the end they're strong. They're convinced deep down inside that I can do what I can do, and I'm going to show them that I can. And God has all of this mercy and all of this, this love for this person who's, who's flip-flopping around. Kind of like the love that a parent has for a child. 
You know that from your view, you know how things are going to turn out from your child's view, five years old, seven years old. Uh, they're, they're not sure, and there's times that they're just totally destroyed, and, and you're going, no, 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 we're going to see it through. But in the end, you're looking at them and saying, look at the growth in their life. Isn't this wonderful? And God has all this mercy toward you and I, and He declares us righteous, and He declares us filled with faith, and He starts filling us with faith, and He strengthens our faith. Here's a scripture for you. It says that God is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now, I write some books, so I'm an author, but there's this person who comes along who's an editor, and they're a perfecter. And they take the raw material of what I can produce and they make it into something that works. You get the idea? But God is both. He's the author of faith in your life. Even to the point that I think God sometimes sets us up. He creates the need so that we feel the pain. So we go, oh, help. And then he deposits faith in our heart. And then he works to perfect that faith. And that's what we're going to see as we go through the life of Abraham. Well, it goes on and says... Verse 23, this wonderful truth that God declared Abraham to be righteous wasn't just for Abraham's benefit, it was for us too. Assuring us that God will also declare us to be righteous. Underline those words because that's important. He'll declare us to be righteous if we believe in God, not if we keep religious rules. He declares us to be righteous if we believe in God who brought Jesus our Lord back from the dead. And he was handed over to die because of our sins. Here's a cross-reference. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 6. But you also want to write a note that says, whole chapter. You want to read all of Isaiah 53. It promises that this offspring of Abraham, this leader in Israel, would be killed for our sins. It even, long before they invented crucifixion, predicts that he'd be crucified for our sins. And then it predicts that he'd be raised from the dead. And it's a beautiful picture there. And then it says, and he was raised from the dead to make us right with God. And the scripture reference to right there is Ephesians chapter 1. Verses 19 and 20. He was raised from the dead to make us right with God. When it says that, uh, what it's telling us is that uh, the power of God can overcome anything. You know, Jesus rose from the dead. There's people that I know that are Christians, but they have a hard time with the resurrection. But if you stop and look at history, and you realize that the reason the apostles were martyred was not just because of some, some, some ethereal kind of faith that they had. The reason that they were martyred was they went on a tear going all over the Mediterranean world telling everybody that the power of God was focused in Jesus Christ and they had seen him alive after he was dead. And every one of them except one, one died in exile, the rest were killed because of that statement. But I saw him alive. I ate with him. I talked with him. I walked with him. I saw him alive. He is alive. Recant and you can live. Keep saying that and we're going to cut your throat then cut my throat because he's alive. And they died for their testimony. You know, you, you hear people trying to make up these theories. Well, the disciples hid the body and they lied about it and stuff like that. Well, you might get one idiot that would die for some kind of a scheme like that, but you don't get the whole rest of them. These people died because they said he's alive. The resurrection is something that when you really stop and look at it and take, take a, a, a good, strong research into it, you realize this is real stuff. But it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, those verses that I gave you, Paul's praying. He says, I'm praying that you could get to a place where you could comprehend the power of God that was the power he used to raise Jesus from the dead that's available to you in your life today. My prayer is that you'd come to a place where you understand God's power and God's prayer, uh, the, the power in prayer and what God can do for you because it's real, it's alive, and it counts for something. Does this make sense? I want to tell you a story. I was in Mongolia and um, 
you know, there's, there, I, I get all kind of reactions when I go on these trips. There's some of you guys that come and act like, oh, wow, you must have so much fun. It must be such a cruise to go on. Well, let me just tell you about Mongolia. I, I flew to Japan a couple weeks ago on Monday, which gets me into Japan on Tuesday. And I had the, the luxury of getting to spend the night in an airport hotel. Uh, next morning, I get up and I fly to Korea and from Korea to Mongolia. And I arrive there at, in Mongolia at about 4 o'clock in the morning. And Mike Kai from Hope Chapel White Kelly and, uh, and, and three other people from there joined me. They didn't get to stay a night in Japan. They flew right from here to Japan, to Korea, and we met, and then we flew to Mongolia. So we all get there at four in the morning. They've been up for goodness knows how many hours. By the time they finally hit the sack, they'd been awake for 45 hours. I, I'd been awake for about 38 hours, so I had a little better time than them. We, we get in about four in the morning to this apartment, and they feed us a breakfast of cheese sandwiches and apples. And um, at 5.30, they put us into vehicles. Now, I had hurt my back, and everybody knew it, so I was lucky. I got to sit in the SUV in the front seat with an air conditioner, and uh, there were four people stuffed in the back seat of that thing, all sitting up like this. And there was another van that they had hired, a city taxi, actually, and it was a broken-down old thing with no air conditioner. And they stuffed 10 people into this little Hyundai micro van. And we drove from 5.30 in the morning until 7 o'clock at night. And the roads going out of town, first were concrete. I mean, this is, a, this is a definitely a developing nation. Then it breaks down to blacktop with potholes everywhere. And then it breaks down to, it's just dirt. And all you see, Mongolia is just this vast nation. It's like the sixth largest landmass on Earth. And some of you are going, where in the world is Mongolia? Well, it's sandwiched between Siberia and China. And to the west of it is Kazakhstan. And they tell us, we're going to go on a 300-mile drive. And I'm thinking, oh, you're exaggerating. No, it was easy, 300 miles. We averaged about 25 to 20 to 25 miles an hour. Uh, Mongolia, the only fence I saw, other than little sheep pens in some places where they, they use them for, for baby lambs, the only fence I saw was a fence keeping the cows off the railroad tracks. It's this vast grassland. The grass grows about four inches tall all over this place. And there's cows and sheep and goats and yaks and wild horses that just roam the place. And they're everywhere. And, and the thing goes on. I thought we'd gone all the way to Kazakhstan. Then I saw a map. If this is Mongolia, and um, if, if this is Ulaanbaatar, and this is Kazakhstan way over here, we went like this, and it was 300 miles. I, I mean, it was, it was 13 hours of driving. I just couldn't believe it. And there's not like gas stations along the way. Once in a while, there's one, but there's no bathroom. So you just kind of got to do what you got to do. And there's no trees. And so <laughs> the ladies that were with us, they had to hold up a blanket, you know, two ladies out there holding up a blanket. And, and uh, it was just intriguing. <laughs> and we, get, we get out there. Now, here's what happened a year ago. I went and challenged this guy in the city church, go plant churches. And so he's gone. He's gotten strategic. And he's gone to, to, to the major towns. It's got like 25,000 people in them. And he's planting a church. From there, they're going to plant a bunch of churches. But the major occupation out there is livestock. And so uh, we get to this place. We get there at 7 o'clock at night. We got to sleep on the ground that night in little pup tents. So we set up all of our little campsite, whatever. Then the people come, and we have church in a gear. A gear, we call it a yurt. It's a big round tent device, kind of like this, except for round. It can hold crammed together. We got about 50 people into this thing, and we held church. And we were dead tired and uh, hadn't eaten anything. And so we decide, let's make it short. And Jeff McKay, who used to be on our church staff, who now pastors in Osaka, was preaching. We told Jeff, keep it short, keep it short, keep it short. So we kept it short. And we all get all done with church. And this is like about 10 o'clock at night that we're done. It's still broad daylight in Mongolia because it stays light until after 11 o'clock. 
And so we get out of church and we think, now we can go to bed. And we just, we're exhausted. And they decide they're going to kill a goat in our honor. And so they build a fire. They take a, like a stainless steel milk can, you know those big cans at the dairy can? And they, they cut the goat. And I won't tell you how they killed that one. It was, you don't even want to hear. Um, and they put all the meat in this can and then they just put the lid on it and, and cook it. And uh, we get up the next morning at 7 o'clock. We go to this other village or the town and hold, hold church in this house. I mean, it's Thursday. And these people all show up because they know that foreigners are coming and they're all excited. And then we go to this other place that there's only one road in and out. And it's like the end of the earth. You know, Jesus said, take the gospel to the end of the earth. Well, I was there. <laughs> and we get out there. And one of the guys in this church is driving me nuts. You've got to take a picture of a yak. You've got to take a picture of a yak. And so I try to sneak up on this yak. And he sees me and he starts walking off. And we're in a place where there's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of animals just roaming. And there's this yak, and, and he's being stubborn. And so I start walking after him. He starts walking faster. And I start walking faster. He starts running. I start running. He starts running faster. The whole herd takes off. <laughs> and I see these two cowboys bearing down on me, man. Two guys on horseback. I jump in the van, and we drove off. We get into the next town, and the people weren't home who the church is in their house. And so we had to go, and we, we end up meeting at this place where the little trail in the town crosses the log that fell across the stream that's the bridge to get to the other part of town. And, uh, I mean, this is just how these people live. It's, there's, there's no such thing as a road after you get outside the city. It's just that people tracked across the grassland and you follow where they drove. There's no road signs. Uh, much like life in, in the Middle Ages, you know. And um, so we're out there and because there's foreigners, all these people start showing up who don't normally come to the church. And there's a very large crowd of people. It's very odd because, you know, when cows run freely, cows make deposits everywhere. And so do sheep and goats. And so I'm sitting here and the person's sitting next to me. And right between us, there's something that you didn't want to really know was there. Um, and, and, and we hold church. And now, and Jeff is out there preaching and, and five people accepted the Lord that day. Uh, the whole time he's preaching, there's a yak about as far as from here to the, to the, the video camera right in the back. And this yak is over there going about, about every 15 seconds. And it goes, ah. <laughs> uh, but this valley, this huge valley, is having a drought. Mongolia effort has had two very bad winters. And they've lost 2 million head of livestock. And it's killing the economy. The economy where average person earns $100 US a year. And if you buy food, it's cheap. If you buy land or housing, it's cheap. Everything that you buy from the outside costs exactly what it costs in Hawaii. And so these people are, are desperate. And in this particular location, they're having drought. And um, they're scared. And so here's these, these Christians who came to their town. Now, the people in Mongolia are either communists, because for 70 years they were run by Russia. Or they're animistic Buddhists, which means they're into demons and spirits and stuff. And so they see us as people who claim to know the living God. And they come and ask us very humbly and politely, would we pray for them that it would rain in their valley? I'm the oldest person there on the team. And uh, all the churches that went from Japan came out of this church. The church in Waikali came out of this church. And I'm the guy who challenged Chinzorg last year to start churches. And so... They look at me as the old guy, the leader. Um, would you pray for rain? <laughs> and so we're set up, and something goes off inside of me. Because I think this is faith at work. See, this is what happens. Something, the Bible uses the word 
quickens. It means it comes to life. Something comes to life inside of me and, and just goes, it's okay, do it. Got you covered. And so I sit there at the beginning of the meeting and I, out loud, translate it into their language, pray for rain. With all this confidence that I normally don't have because I'm not some super faith guy. And I'm just sure this is cool because God's going to make it rain. And I, I had a real lightweight jacket, a cotton jacket, and it was, it was cold. It was getting into the afternoon. The wind was blowing. And I had made sure that when we were going to sit in this big circle, I sat with my back to the wind so I wouldn't have to freeze to death. And five minutes after I prayed, the wind absolutely changed direction from the other direction. And I'm sitting there the whole time shaking cold because the wind's coming all over me. And we had our meeting for probably an hour and a half. And the clouds are blowing in and it's getting blacker and blacker and blacker and blacker. And we left at 3.30 in the afternoon in a place where it doesn't get totally dark till about quarter after 11 at night. So it's pretty bright light. But it was like dusk in Hawaii. It's like 6.30 on the windward side. And as we're leaving, the, the big old drops of rain, big, fat, sweet drops of rain are falling. And we're going, get the heck out of here before it turns to mud. And uh, all the whole time as we're cruising across that valley, just rain, 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 rain. Now, I, I don't know what you do with that. But God is real. He's alive. And he wants to put himself on display in your life. And when you go, okay, I give you room. He deposits righteousness in your account. Does that make sense? He goes, this is one of mine. Well, let's pray. And we'll be on our way out of here. Lord, this morning we come to you and we thank you for reaching out to us. We thank you for being there for us. And Lord, we certainly are needy people this morning. There's all kinds of us with all kinds of needs. There's some of us that have a broken heart. Lord, some of us are in need of a job. Some of us are scared to death of our bottom line in our business right now. We need, we need financing. Some of us are, are hurting to hire somebody and we need just the right person. Lord, some of us, our kids are hurting real bad and we don't know what to do to help them. Lord, some of us, you put a dream in our heart that's a fantastic dream, but we don't know what the next step is. And we're reaching out to you. And, and Lord, best we can, we're choosing faith. That's why we came here this morning, because we believe in you. We may not have all the faith in the world, and we may be real hot and cold, but down deep in our soul, we believe that you exist and that you reward people who put their trust in you. And so that's why we're here today, to put our trust in you. And Lord, we're asking that you would act on our behalf. And God, along with asking that you would meet our material need, we give you permission to meet our spiritual need. Lord, in the process, you would draw us closer to yourself, that you'd change us, you'd reshape our values. And yes, Lord, that in giving us what you give us, in giving us what we're praying for, we realize that you have right of ownership to it and that you want to use it to bless other people, and we surrender to that. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 